want to say welcome to you this morning if you're new here. Uh, I'm Zach, one of the pastors, and so glad that you're here. Just to kind of bring everybody up to speed on what, we're, what we've been doing, especially if you're new here, um, every beginning of the fall at the Vine, we go through what we call our vision series. And so we have uh, three words that kind of summarize what we're all about. You can see the artwork here on, the, on this side of the, of the room, Gospel Community Mission. Um, the way we say that in sentence form is the Vine Church desires to be a spirit-filled family that seeks to make disciples and plant churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. So that's a more fleshed out sentence form of gospel community mission. And we basically just try to recast that vision for why we are a church that does the things that we do in the way that we do them. What is our vision as a church? What are we calling members of the vine to? And that's what we've been rehearsing and reminding you all of these last six weeks. And so we did two weeks on gospel, two weeks on community. Last week we did part one on mission. And today we're going to do part two on mission. So last week was our individual responsibility. And we talk about our sphere of influence. And what that means is where do you find yourself? Where are you right now? Well, you live in a neighborhood, you have a job, you maybe have some hobbies where you interact with people. That's your sphere of influence. So wherever you are individually, what are you doing to be faithful there, right? And we talked about thinking about that in in three ways. Praying about how to engage with your sphere of influence. If you're not praying, the Lord's probably not working, okay? It all starts with prayer. And then after I'm praying about how to engage in my sphere of influence, I've got to be committed to being present. We're never going to be people that hide behind the, 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 the walls of a holy huddle. Um, we, the, God calls us to go out, not to be walled up based on fear of, of unbelievers out there that don't share my values. That's not Christianity, okay? So we've got to be present. We've got to engage with the world. We're going to be in the world, but not of the world, right? And then finally, we've got to be willing to present ourselves. So pray, be present, and then present yourself as a Christian. Be willing to talk like a Christian. Be willing to say, you know what, here's my convictions about this. And, you know, we're talking about this at work, and there's this big issue that everyone's talking about, whether it's politics or natural disasters or whatever. And i got something to say from a Christian perspective about that. And I'm willing to do it. So that's what we talked about last week. If you were gone, I encourage you to download the podcast and review it. It's, it's really um, kind of the heartbeat of, of how we think about engaging individually. But today, I want to talk about the rationale for what we do collectively, what we do corporately. Organizationally, as a church, we have a target that we're shooting at, okay? You have your probably own specific target for you individually, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and how are you going to be faithful there? But what are we aiming at together as a church? And that is this, church planting. Church planting. We want to be a church planting church. More specifically, we want to plant churches that 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 plant churches. We want to see the exponential impact of reproduction, okay? And we do this together through being a church that desires to raise up new leaders with teams and send them out. 
So here's one short way to, to think about our metric for success at the vine. It's not how many rear ends are in the seat on a Sunday morning. Now, that's very, very common, very normal. You hang out with a bunch of pastors, and they're always going to ask you, you know, we go to a pastor's conference this coming week, and it'll be, you know, the question will always come up, so how many, how many are you running this right now? You know, how many people are in your church right now? And that's okay, and that may or may not be an indicator of, of faithfulness, but that's not how we define faithfulness at the vine, primarily. Primarily, we define it as this, not who stays, but who gets sent, not who's here, but who goes. Now, we love that you're here this morning. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Like, we, we want to have people here on Sunday, but primarily, our desire is to have the target we're shooting at not be, can we build this huge church, and as long as we can just keep building bigger buildings, then we'll know that we're faithful and successful. No, that's not how we define faithfulness to success. We define it as how many churches can we plant? How many people can we raise up and send out? See, we would much rather see 50 churches of 100 planted in our lifetime here in Madison than maybe have one huge church of 5,000 people. Now listen, it's not that big church is necessarily bad. That's not what I'm saying. And by the world standard, this church right here is a big church, okay? So big is a relative term. But we're not going to emphasize big for the sake of big. We simply believe in the biblical mandate of church planting and philosophically that it's really healthy for churches to have a sending mindset, okay? So first question. We're going to answer a lot of hypothetical rhetorical questions this morning. First question, why are we so hyper about church planting? Great question. The problem that we have, and I have, even in preparing this sermon, is this. There's no verse in the Bible where you can open up and go, Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, go ye therefore and make churches. Go ye therefore and plant churches. Go ye therefore and send people to start new communities of faith. That verse doesn't exist explicitly like that. But we would say that the biblical data is somewhat overwhelming. Let me just briefly make my case for you, all right? Here's the first reason why we're, why we're so hyper about church planning. Number one, Jesus was the first church planner. Jesus was the first church planter. He was the first one. The first church that ever existed 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, came into existence because of him. Now look at what Jesus said. This is com- coming from Matthew uh, chapter 16. 15 through 18. And he said to them, now Jesus is talking to his first followers here, right? And he said to them, his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. See what it says there? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So there's a lot we could say about this text that we're not going to go into this morning, other than to show you that Jesus has a vision for church. 
for a future church. What does it say? I will build my church. Not I'm hoping to build my church or I want to build my church or I'm just really really desiring to build a church. No, no, I will. It's a fact. It's a promise. I will build my church. It's a promise to a people who didn't have church yet as we currently know it. So Jesus had a vision for the church, and through his promise and his initiation, it came into being. So Jesus is the first church planter. Second reason, the Great Commission is a call to plant churches. The Great Commission is a call to plant churches. All right, this takes a little more um, bringing together of a couple texts, but, but track with me on this, okay? Let's start by looking at the Great Commission. Matthew 18 Starting in, uh, sorry, Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So did you see the action verbs there? That what he's calling his people to do, did you notice what those were? The first one is go. I want you to go. I don't want you to stay. I want you to go. Right? And then what else do we have? We're going to go. We're going to make disciples. And what are we going to do? We're going to baptize them. And then next slide, we're going to teach them. Okay? So that's what Jesus is calling his first followers to do. Church doesn't exist yet, right? Now, when you keep that in mind of what the church is called to do, direct from the mouth of Jesus, these are your marching orders, okay? Then you flip over a few books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and you look and you see that this first church is born. And what are they doing? Guess what they're focused on? They're sharing their faith and gathering those new converts into churches. Look at it here. This is Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. So those who received his word. So Peter just got done preaching the first evangelistic sermon. Okay? So he's sharing the gospel. He's being present in his community, sharing his Christian convictions. So those who received his word, the word of the gospel, the word of truth, what happened then? They were baptized. And they were added that day. Added to what? Good question. They were added that day about 3,000 souls. Well, here's what they were added to. It's just a description of church. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the gathering, the family fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, generosity. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, together again, a gathering, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. They're engaged. They're present in the community. See that there? And the Lord added to their number 
day by day those who were being saved. They're making disciples. So this is the description of the first church, right? So did you notice some things? There's this proclamation of the gospel, verse 41. Those who received his word. Peter just got done proclaiming the gospel. So those who received his word, what happened then? Well, then they were baptized, right? And then they started this ministry of teaching and gathering. That's verse 42. And then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread like we're doing right here, the Lord's table, that's what that means, and prayers, the praying together as a church. So what we see is these action verbs from Jesus in the Great Commission, go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. When, when Jesus' first followers heard that, what did they do? They heard that and they go, all right, we're going to plant churches that do that. And that's just what the book of Acts shows us, right? When the first followers heard the Great Commission, they translated that into church planting, where new converts were gathered, baptized, and taught. Let me give you one other bit of evidence for how the disciples heard the Great Commission and then went and planted in churches. It's very, very simple. When you open up your New Testament, you should see church planting everywhere. Why would I say that? Well, because there's a book called Galatians. And before Jesus said this Great Commission, there was no church in Galatia. All of a sudden, there's a church now in Galatia. Paul's writing that letter. That church got planted. Make sense? There was no church in Thessalonica until that church got planted. And then Paul writes a letter to that church that got planted in Thessalonica, and he's teaching them, and he's telling them, share your faith, baptize people, teach them. There's, there was no church in Corinth. And then all of a sudden, that church in Corinth got planted, and Paul's writing a letter to the people in Corinth and saying, now that you've got this church planted in Corinth, we've we got to train you up, we've got to teach you up, right? So the whole New Testament is a testimony to church planting, because all of these books in the New Testament are just cities where there was no church, and then all of a sudden there was a church because it got planted. Thessalonica, Asia Minor, Philippi, uh, Colossae, all over, right? Does that make sense? So when you read your New Testament, you should not forget that the two New Testament letters exist because those churches got planted. Those, those first followers of Jesus heard that Great Commission and it translated for them into church planting that teach and baptize and make disciples. So we firmly believe that church planting is thoroughly biblical. And that's why we're so excited to see it be the center of the missional target we're shooting for here at the Vine as a Vine family together. We want to be a church-planting church that plants new churches, that plants churches, that plants churches among neighbors' nations through declaration and demonstration. That's what we're about. So let's talk more specifically now. Let's talk more specifically. What does this look like at the Vine? All right? So we want to see this happen in two ways. And at the Vine, um, we talk about Madison and we talk about so that's our neighbors, and then we talk about the nations, okay? Two different areas for church planting, neighbors and nations, okay? And for the nation side, we have two emphases. We have Ecuador, 
and we have our target city in North Africa. And because of security concerns, and this is going on the internet, we talk a little bit nondescriptly about what we do in North Africa. If you want more details, let's talk in person, okay? Or just talk to somebody next to you who probably knows what we're doing. So we talk neighbors, nations, Madison, and the nations, Ecuador, and North Africa, okay? And so when it comes to, let's talk about the nation side. When it comes to planting churches among the nations, it's pretty easy to believe and to understand why we're doing that, right? It's pretty easy to see. Why? Well, because in these places, there just simply aren't that many solid churches. The numbers are very few. So if we talk our target city in North Africa, there is... For the most part, other than our team, there is zero gospel witness. Zero. Like, there's gospel witness all over Madison, right? I mean, you guys are it. This does not exist. Not one shred of this exists in our target city in North Africa. So we've got a team of two families that have been sent that we're partnering with to see this happen, to see churches planted. We're praying that God, by his spirit and his word, would raise up the church and light a fire in that city for the sake of the gospel, for God's glory and their joy. And we just can't give up on them. Now, I know it's hard. Here's why it's hard. Hard for us. I mean, it's hard for them. Hard for us because we don't see them that often. It's a long ways away. North Africa is is a challenging place to get to, Right? It's not all over the news. I mean, it's kind of, like, you know, this backwater town in this, in, this, in this country in North Africa, and we don't see them. They maybe come once a year and stand up here. We don't have this face-to-face relationship where we can engage and pray for one another and bear one of those burdens and weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those that rejoice. But here's the thing. It's hard for us to kind of stay motivated and have our heart beat fast after what they're doing because of proximity and because, you know, there's an ocean that separates our relationship in some sense. But imagine how it is for them. Imagine how it is for them when they don't have any of this. And it's two families seeking to make the gospel known in in, in a city of 400,000 people where the crushing weight of Islam looms large. There's very, very little fellowship. There's very, very little encouragement like you guys experience even right now this morning. Like we got a family struggling with an issue this morning, and I can just go up to them, and they can come up to me if I'm struggling with something, we just pray for each other. That was happening this morning in the lobby. Like that doesn't happen for them in the same way. The isolation can be crushing, but someone has to go and count the cost, right? Like, these Muslim people have zero gospel witness. The only witness they have is the crushing weight of Islamic legalism. That's what they have. So it's easy to see why we need more churches in a place like that, right? Church planting in a place like that isn't a hard sell. I, I, I hope it's not, right? And so in, in, our, in, our, in, our, um, in the work we're participating with in Ecuador, Ecuador is, is, is just struggling with solid churches that preach the Bible, that preach the gospel, that preach the gospel of grace and not works. Those churches are not as prevalent there as they are here. That's a big deal. There's a theological famine. So, of course, we need to see churches planted in these target nations. 
where we focus. And so at the bottom, we're just going to continue to do that. We call you to be on board with that, to give, to go, to pray. That's what we're going to always be about if you're a member here at the Vine. We want you to be excited about that. But here's the question. What about our neighbors? Like, why do we need more churches in Madison? I mean, really? Like, we're doing a pretty good job, aren't we, in terms of Christianity in the city of Madison? Well, it depends on what your metric for success is. See, if we're trying to reach believers then maybe, yeah, we have enough churches. Plenty of empty seats in a lot of churches around the city. But see, our mandate from Jesus is to look upon the fields that are white for harvest. And there are thousands of people in various corners of Madison who don't understand the gospel, have never had it explained to them. And in our post-Christian context, this is going to increasingly be our culture as we move into the future. Now, think about it like this. Maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, almost everybody you would meet might have some, something in their history of their life where they had some maybe working knowledge of the Christian worldview, right? Some exposure in their life history, some context for understanding, Now, I don't think in Madison that we are completely post-Christian yet, but I just think we're one generation away. Now, let me give you an example. When we moved here to plant this church uh, a little over seven years ago, the three of us who, our families moved here to plant this church, um, we all worked part-time jobs. And I worked a job at the Apple store, and so I had a context where I could hang out with a lot of unbelievers, got to share my faith a lot. And for almost every person that I shared my faith with, there at the Apple store, um, almost every single one of them had some type of context to draw upon to understand what I was saying. It wasn't just like, like there, was, there was nothing there to, to comprehend what I, was, what I was saying. But here's the difference. None of those, like maybe, maybe some of those people had gone to Bible camp as a kid or their parents were sort of Christian and they kind of went to church, Christmas and Easter. They sort of understood roughly what we were about. But the difference is, none of those people that I was sharing with when I worked there are going to raise their kids to follow Jesus. That's what I mean by I think we're one generation away from being completely post-Christian in Madison. That's largely the case in Europe right now, and I think we're just one generation behind. Okay? Now, we can argue sociology if you want, and that's fine. I'm not a prophet. I don't know specifically what's going to happen. I'm persuaded that's where we're headed. But whatever the case may be, I think if that is even partly true, my word, we do have a need for more churches in Madison. So then the question becomes, well, when do we have enough churches in Madison? Now, here, there, there, again, there's no clear biblical answer for here's the quantitative metric for understanding when a church has been saturated with the gospel Preaching church is enough so that you're good and just move on. There's room here for a philosophy of ministry and to make choices by faith, okay? And so that's what we're doing. We have the freedom to make choices by faith we believe will be best for the advancement of the kingdom among our neighbors. And so here's what we feel like at the vine that should look like. Let me give you an illustration that I got from Scott this week as it relates to our philosophy of church planting. So, A lot of you in this room are passionate about working out, 
and you've got a membership, and maybe you have a membership at the Princeton Club. A lot of you have heard about the Princeton Club. Princeton Club has this mammoth workout facility on the west side, mammoth work, workout facility on the east side, right? And years ago, um, they built these big clubs, and they were a little more expensive than sums, but they offered, you know, workout services that were, you know, hard to compete with. You got the track, you got the weights, you got all these different classes, you got the pool, you play some tennis, whatever. I mean, a lot to offer. And so people who were either living near those clubs or were really fitness enthusiasts would probably be willing to sign up. Like if, I'm, if I live close, I'll go. And if I'm really passionate about exercise, man, I'm probably willing to drive 20 minutes, 30 minutes to go. But the, the owners of the Princeton Club learned something quick many years ago, and that was this. If they wanted to reach a city with an understanding of what it means to be in shape, they had to make smaller versions of the Princeton Club, west and east, and spread them all through the city, right? And that's when the Princeton Club Express was born. Princeton Club Express is just treadmills and weights for the most part. It's a lot cheaper, and it's like maybe a lower lower contract scenario that's not quite as rigorous. And so for less money and less driving distance, you can be a member of the Princeton Club Express. It's like, it's just right there, and it's a lot cheaper. I might as well go, you know? Man, Princeton Club Express got my money and my wife's money for four years because they're just down the street from where we live, right? They reeled me in. I'm in. I got to go. It's right there. I'm not driving away over the west side, but I'll drive down the street, Hilldale, right? So do you see how this connects to church planting? If we want to make a broad impact for the sake of spiritual fitness, of the whole city, we need to reproduce churches at a neighborhood level throughout the entire metropolitan area. And that's what we want to see happen. So just do a thought experiment with me. Imagine there, were a great, there, was, there was a great Bible-believing, missionally-focused gospel-preaching church within a half mile of every front door of every house in Madison. Imagine that. Every single person in Madison had a great church no farther than a half mile from their house. Think of the witness, the proximity of seeing Christians serving their community, of Christians getting to know their neighbors and making Christ known, of Christians showing hospitality to their neighbors and being engaged in the community. See, like we talked about last week, since we believe that we have to be present to see the mission of God move forward in a place, and since we believe that unbelievers should be able to see the beauty of the church in all of its uniqueness and sacrificial love for one another and others, since we believe that Christians should be people who have something to say while they have their place to serve, what if every person in Madison had close neighborhood proximity, like a Princeton Club Express, to people in their neighborhoods who, who went to a neighborhood church? And it wasn't just intellectual knowledge of those Christians, but it was relational knowledge. It, it was like neighborhood knowledge. It was proximity knowledge. Not just I've heard about this big church way over there, but no, I've got some experience actually seeing these people together engage in this place that's not far from my house. 
Like, I see what this gathering of Jesus people are doing on Sunday morning and in their small groups, but I also see them all over the community, loving, sacrificing, serving, and laying down their lives for others. What if there were these little torches of light scattered all over the city of Madison until one day the whole city was covered? Like, no, no shadows, no shadows. There's light everywhere. What if we had a hundred faithful torches strategically placed to light up the city of Madison or our target city in North Africa or Umbatu, Ecuador? See, we want to see people sent to land in a spot, plant a church there, and simply be faithful there. So in that sense, we could use a hundred more churches in Madison, let alone North Africa and Ecuador. See, we're not trying to fight over believers there's a lot of great churches that have empty seats where believers can go. And, and it's not about us. It's not about the vine becoming this huge megachurch. Although we can't control that, of course. We're not going to bar the doors, right? But that's not our focus. We're seeking to reach those who don't know yet Jesus, who don't know Jesus yet. And there are plenty of unbelievers to go around in our world today and in Madison. So that's why we believe in sending through church planting. We call you, Vine family, to be with us in this. The beauty of being selfless, not just being all about us, but the beauty and the glory of being able to release and say, God, we trust you. Now listen, this is not easy. We realize that as we call you to this, it's not comfortable. What's comfortable is to come and consume from the church but we're not calling you to be consumers. We're calling you to be givers. And a church that's passionate with, with the spirit of Jesus alive in them, as he is a giver, he fills up his people to be givers as well. A church that's passionate about that can set a city on fire for the gospel. Coming in saying, man, what's this place got to do with me? And what's this place going to give to me? And how can I consume from this place? That, 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 that mindset will never set a city on fire for the gospel. But it's giving, sending. But it's not easy. It's not easy. And here, it's not easy for, for a variety of reasons, but here's the primary one. Being a place that constantly is sending means, in some sense, a disruption of relationships. And that's hard. That's hard. Evolving and changing relationships just like Jesus left the comfort zone of the eternal relationship of the Trinity to come and take on our space for the sake of mission because he loved us, it's uncomfortable. To put on human flesh and die a human death. And just like the first church 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, this first church that was planted in Jerusalem, they didn't say, hey, guess what? Y'all can just figure out how to come to us and we're going to build this mega church in Jerusalem and just stay put. That's not what they said. What did they say? They said, we're going to go and we're going to send. They sent people out to reach the whole world. And just like Paul, you can read about it. Acts chapter 20, go home and read it. It's heartbreaking. He invested two years to see churches planted in Ephesus. And then he stood on the beach and he wept with them because he said, I've invested so much in you and you're probably never going to see me again. That's hard. Just like when we sent out Redeemer City Church 
a few years ago with a core team of two pastors and 30 people. Man, those are people that I loved. I love Nate and Casey. I love those people. I, I personally invested my life for two years into some of those people. We don't see them as often. That's hard, right? Just like when you plant a new city group through raising up new leaders and sending them out to a new neighborhood in Madison. All this is uncomfortable, but it's so biblically beautiful, okay? See, a new gospel witness in a new place is the heartbeat of what Jesus sent his people to do. Listen to what Jesus says to his followers. This is just a paraphrase of the Great Commission. Don't just stay put and stay safe. No, go. Radiate out. Go and take my glory to a new place to reach new people for the sake of their joy and my glory. Go. I know it's scary, but I will provide for you. I'll provide new relationships for you as those old ones get, sometimes get a little disrupted. Don't, don't stay safe in your comfort zone that's oftentimes driven by fear. Go. I'll provide for you as you step out in faith. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and I promise to be with you. You can trust my word. I will provide for those who are being sent and for those doing the sending. Go. It's okay. You can trust me. My word is good. So we're all about church planting at the vine. That's what we do together collectively as a church family. Churches that plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. And so what that requires is that we rally around this through prayer, through money. This stuff doesn't happen on accident. We got to finance it. So we call you to generosity. It, 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 it calls some of you to be willing to go. So we want to close uh, with a couple things tangibly here. Some action points for you. Uh, first one, real simply, is there are these prayer cards at both exits here this morning. And this is one of our families in North Africa. And they just printed these out for us. Um, please take one and commit to pray for them. Put on your fridge, real easy. Every time you open your fridge, just say a quick prayer for them. Okay? They're by both exits. I would love to see the stack gone this morning. So please take one of these. Commit to praying for them. And then in closing, we're going to watch a video of our three uh, target places um, in North Africa, in Ecuador, and here in Madison. And what's going on in terms of church planting, okay? So um, we're going to turn our attention to the screens right now, and we're going to watch this video.